This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. And the good news out of uh, Yokohama, Japan and the Diamond Princess are the Canadians who are on board who are looking to return uh, to Canada and be quarantined for 14 days at CFB Trenton are on their way to home soil. The very bad news is that we received news today that two elderly passengers from the Diamond Princess, uh, who were infected with this virus, have passed away. They've died. Uh, Japan now has three deaths linked to COVID-19. The two victims, a man and a woman in their 80s, both Japanese, were believed to have been infected before health checks on February 5th. Uh, That's when the quarantine began on the ship. Uh, The health ministry official uh, there in Japan said it's not immediately known if they had any roommates on the ship. So um, certainly more news to come. It seems every day we give an update on this uh, outbreak of COVID-19 and certainly somebody that we have been touching back with since the very beginning is joining me now, Dr. Peter Hotez, who is the Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston and co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development. Uh, Dr. Hotez, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I follow along on Twitter, as you know, and I saw you just post this detailed 3D coronavirus um, in hopes of developing the vaccine. Can you give us an update on that? Yeah, so we're um, one of the groups that's developing uh, vaccines for coronaviruses. We've been doing this actually since 2011, uh, starting with SARS. You remember SARS that came out of southern China and affected Toronto, and then MERS that came out of Saudi Arabia. And so we're nicely positioned to do this for uh, this new coronavirus uh taking a couple of different approaches. One, taking the SARS-1 vaccine that we made uh, against the virus that emerged in 2003, seeing if it'll cross-protect against SARS-2, as some are calling it, as well as making some vaccines that specifically target SARS-2. So as you can imagine, it's a pretty hectic time. We're a nonprofit organization based at Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital that we like to say we make the vaccines no one else will touch because they're either diseases of the poor or they're for pandemic threats. You might think pandemic threats vaccines are a moneymaker. They're actually not. Most of the big pharmaceutical companies don't like them because they're oftentimes vaccines that would just be stockpiled for future use. So uh, vaccines are a big investment for pharmaceutical companies. So uh, interestingly, many have stayed away from, are staying away from this one. Well, thank you for the update on that. That sounds like an uphill battle and great works that you are doing there with your team. What have we learned over the last number of days and weeks with regard to COVID-19 and how we have seen this virus sort of evolve or what we've learned along the way? We're hearing that um, while it is perhaps infecting more people, people than SARS did or infecting at a higher rate than SARS, but not as deadly as SARS? Well, it it depends on who you are. So it's been pretty deadly for individuals over the age of 60 or those with underlying diabetes or hypertension. Uh, and it's a big threat to healthcare workers. So those are the two most vulnerable populations, the one we would consider making a vaccine uh, for. And I think one of the new piece, one of the stories that's coming out of this is this virus is probably a lot more contagious than we previously thought. You know, when it was initially found, it was thought to be only transmitted from animals to people, and then became clear that there was some level of human-to-human transmission, but it wasn't considered substantial. 
now we're moving towards the fact that it's uh, it's it's quite contagious, uh, more contagious, for instance, than a typical seasonal influenza might be. And and this is not too unusual when you have a new pathogen that no one has seen before. Uh, it takes time to get uh, get your arms around it, get an understanding. Uh, actually, one of the things that I also put on social media because I, I like to do Twitter is, um, you know, the Chinese are being heavily criticized for lack of transparency in this epidemic. But one area where you have to give them a lot of credit is among their scientists, their virologists. They've been putting everything up there on the internet through this interesting preprint server called BioArchive, which is spelled. B-I-O-R-X-I-V. It's put up by Cold Spring Harbor Laboratories. And that stuff's been life-saving. It's really, we've really been able to use it to design our vaccine. So I give the Chinese scientists and virologists actually uh, a lot of credit for their transparency and putting stuff up there so quickly. That's very interesting. And identifying what the, the virus looked like, the mapping of the virus initially, you were t- teaching us about that prior to having access to the virus itself to test on. These are all you know, can be mapped back to those same scientists, right? Yeah, I mean, the way this virus works is um, if you ever look at a picture under the electron microscope, the reason they call it corona, referring to crown, it has these little spikes around it, and those spikes are what binds to the receptor in the lungs and other tissues. And so the vaccine strategy is to make a vaccine that blocks the attachment of those virus spikes to the host receptor, which is pretty straightforward, actually. So I don't think that's the complicating piece. The part that's going to be tough with coronaviruses, all coronaviruses, is that we've seen in laboratory animals that sometimes they get this paradoxical worsening with the vaccine, uh, depending on what kind of vaccine you use, especially killed virus vaccines. Uh, And we've seen this with other respiratory viruses. So one of the things we've been designing our vaccines on is to avoid this problem of uh, this immune enhancement, and we have some optimism that we think we can do that. Oh, I have my fingers crossed. It's so interesting to speak with you. Dr. Peter J. Hotez is on the line with us. He is the Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston and co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development. You've heard me speak with uh, Dr. Hotez before uh, about vaccines of all sorts, but specific to the coronavirus, what is your opinion of how the Diamond Princess was handled with regard to quarantine? Yeah, that, that did not go well. Uh, and, and, you know, the initial idea was not a terrible one. You know, the, they're, they're in a nice boat. They're good living conditions. It's a lot of people. You know, these cruise ships sometimes are massive uh, cities, you know, of, of 3,000 or more people. Uh, but I think the problem was the Japanese authorities, whoever was making that decision, when they saw people actually getting infected during the quarantine process uh, and people were getting sick because of the quarantine, they couldn't figure out how to call an audible and get everybody off the ship. And, and that's the tragic mistake that, that, that they made, in my opinion. At that point, uh, when you saw that people were getting infected during the quarantine process, it was time to get everybody off the ship and do maybe something like we've done in the United States where we're using military bases uh, to put people, you know, it's not an uh, ideal situation, but it's, you know, it's safe and dry and you can provide food and comfort, uh, something along those lines. And 
Uh, instead, the Japanese authorities kept digging their heels in and saying, this is what we're going to do. And, and unfortunately, now we've learned two individuals have, have died uh, from coronavirus, which are individuals who are over the age of 80. And it's not surprising because we already know that this virus is lethal in older individuals. We're doing the same thing here in Canada with regard to when uh, bringing uh, the travelers home from Japan. They, they will go to CFB Trenton in Ontario uh, to the military base there and, and be a 14... 14- Day quarantine. So on and, that, and it, ship, and it, get, and it oh, gets to the fact that this virus is more transmissible than we, you know, we're right. the picture that SMR is more transmissible than we realize. Exactly why is speculative. Uh, we know that many respiratory viruses are transmitted through what's called droplet contact, meaning you cough or sneeze on somebody, and the droplets either go on the surface, and you can you get your fingers contaminated with that, and you touch your eyes or your mouth, and it gets into the mucous membranes of your eyes and mouth, or somebody coughs or sneezes directly on you, and the droplets go on you. The, one of the, there's two other questions, though. One is whether this virus can actually travel in the air for long distances or stay, stay alive is it, through airborne transmission. Like measles. A lot of people, uh, yeah, a lot of people have the misunderstanding. They think all respiratory viruses are transmitted that way. It turns out to be pretty uncommon. Measles does it, as you point out. Yeah. And chickenpox virus does it, not many others. So maybe that's happening. And there are also some reports of uh, fecal-oral contact as a possibility, and that's under investigation as well. So whatever the mechanism, uh, we're we're seeing more people infected than than we might have ordinarily imagined. End of the day, what, what we can all do here in North America is wash our hands. Wash your hands, uh, avoid crowded places. I mean, right now... There's not a significant level of human-to-human transmission going on in North America, at least that we know about. Right. Uh, uh, but last week, the CDC director, Bob Redfield, in the U.S., said that he thinks it's likely this virus will gain a foothold in the United States. We will start seeing human-to-human transmission. So I think we have to get ready. And if the problem that I'm concerned about, which I also wrote about uh, earlier this week, is... If that happens, it's happening at a bad time because flu season is still pretty bad in North America. Uh, usually it starts to die down around this time, but it's it's uh, still quite high and, and in some places still peaking. So it's looking like this is going to be a long flu season. Sometimes flu season goes until May, and I think this could be one of them. So now you've got the problem of uh, concurrent flu and coronavirus, and then to make matters worse, as, as we've talked about before, there's a pretty aggressive anti-vaccine lobby in the U.S. and maybe Canada, mm-hmm. and that brought measles back last year, uh, and there's concern that could come back again in 2020. Well, guess what the peak season of measles is? It's late winter, early spring. spring. So where are we headed? Late winter, early spring. So I'm actually worried about the potential of a triple epidemic of influenza, measles, and this coronavirus. And what I've been saying is at least, you know, do your part, make sure you and your family are getting your flu vaccines, make sure your kids are up to date with their measles vaccines. So at least we could take that off the table and just focus on this coronavirus. From your lips, Dr. Peter Hotez, thank you very much for this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I look forward to speaking with you again and getting an update. Boy, I learn a lot every time. And you need to follow Dr. Peter J. Hotez on Twitter.